0: The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. This morning, we are going to do a little comparison between the two major Christian holidays of the year. Comparison between Christmas and Easter. These are the two big dogs, many folks in our culture actually only attend church on those two days, and we affectionately like to refer to them as priesters And uh, you, you're not allowed to be offended by that because you're here today. You're here today, so you're here on one, on one of those days that are not one of those two. In fact, uh, Christmas is a great time to invite family and friends, just as Marsh March said here this Friday, Christmas Eve. Uh, one, three, five, and seven, we're going to have uh, four identical celebrations. This is a great time to invite folks to because they're not going to be offended if you invite them to church for Christmas. It's part of American culture to go to church on Christmas. It's okay, you can go ahead and invite them. It's, it's much less offensive than inviting somebody to church in November. So, go go ahead and do it. Now, just kind of a logistic piece, our guess is that 3 and 5 are probably going to be a little more jam-packed. So, if you do plan on bringing 70, 80 people, I would lean towards the (laughs) 1 o'clock or the 7 o'clock. Just, just, I'm here to help. So, back to the comparison between Christmas and Easter. Easter is the one that is central to the whole Christian story. It's the one where Jesus died on the cross... So that we don't have to. And then he rose from the grave to prove that he really was who he said he was. But Christmas on the other hand, Christmas is the one that gets all the attention. Christmas is the one where weeks beforehand, we've got the commercials and the shopping and the music and everything starting. We want to jump in on it as soon as possible. As soon as Thanksgiving is over, boom, we jump in as quickly as possible on that famous Black Friday, which is the wonderful day where unsuspecting Walmart employees get trampled to death. This is the day where we got to shop like crazy people this is the day. It's referred to as Black Friday because many businesses survive based on what happens in the month of December in terms of their income. That they have been red all year and many businesses be- go in the black as a as a part of that one day and the experiences that happen uh, after that. Black Friday we have uh, uh, radio stations like 99.9 that are committed to Christ- to uh, Christmas songs all the time. All the time. <coughs> Just over and over and over and over and over again. Christmas is a time where we get a whole slew of new movies. The Christmas installment of movies. Remember a number of years ago when Die Hard came out as a Christmas movie. So all the killing and strangling and bloody feet, that's a part of our American Christmas experience. Yippee-ki-yay. It's a beautiful thing. So in the cultural battle between Christmas and Easter... Christmas wins I mean it has more energy it has more time it has more attention Christmas wins and what we're going to do over the next few minutes is talk about why why does why is Christmas such a beautifully embraced part of our culture whether you're a believer or not would you bow your heads with me as we pray God, we are thankful for Christmas. May, may there be no part of this that's making fun of this season. We are jumping in and celebrating a beautiful time of the year. But God, there, there's a reason that Christmas feels the way it does. And we want to just jump in on that and tap into who you are here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well... Uh, First of all, we have to kind of think about whether you're interested in this issue or not, in Christmas versus Easter. Uh, uh, and I think that Christians, for the most part, are pretty interested in, in this because there's this ongoing battle for the true meaning of Christmas. Let's put Christ back in Christmas. I've seen your bumper stickers. Jesus is the reason for the season. That we get pretty offended when, uh, when people start saying you have to say happy holidays instead of saying Merry Christmas, etc. You might be interested to know Who the first group uh, over the last number of centuries, the first group to say they wanted to ban this whole Christmas experience. First group was a group of Christians. Back in the uh, 17th century, mid-1600s in England, uh, they had a civil war. This was after their heydays, after Queen Elizabeth and Shakespeare and all of the, the, the heyday of the English Empire. They went through civil war, and there was about a 30-year period where they actually did not have a monarchy. And they were ruled by a group of hardcore Christians called Puritans. And these Puritans, they decided they wanted to ban this kind of fledgling Christmas celebration because it was so connected to pagan worship, the Christmas tree and all that kind of stuff, and the snowman, and they wanted to ban the whole Christmas experience, saying that it was a wasteful and immoral experience. Now, to me, that sounds more like my college years, but this is how they described the Christmas experience. And this is kind of what was happening for a hundred years, a couple hundred years or so, and then in the mid-1800s, there's a man named Charles Dickens who wrote a story called The Christmas Carol, and he relit, reinvigorated the cultural enthusiasm for Christmas season. And this is the story at the end, of course, where Scrooge says, Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. That's where we get the phrase, Merry Christmas. That's actually where it comes from. Charles Dickens. I don't know what the Dickens he was thinking. He, he, he gave us this phrase that we are so in, in such a battle about uh, now. Merry Christmas. Are we allowed to say it? Or are we not allowed to say it? Now this, or after the mid-19th century, this enthusiasm flowed into the United States, and then we have grown and grown and grown in our obsession over this season, over this part of the year. And now there is this war over Christmas. Are we allowed to say this? There are legal battles over what we are allowed to say, what we are allowed to do. There are challenges towards the First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States because... They are government-funded schools that are talking about Christ. And so there's challenges to this. Are they allowed to do this? Are they allowed to have those symbols, et cetera, et cetera? Yada, yada, yada. You know what I'm talking about. For me personally, I don't really care that much. I really don't lose much sleep over it. I'm not going to be marching uh, this whole deal because I don't think that those conversations change hearts. I, I, I just uh, don't think that if Christians win those battles so that we are allowed to say certain things, I don't think that's going to draw persons into the loving arms of Jesus Christ any more than bombing an abortion clinic is going to uh, woo uh, doctors or hurting mothers. Now, in the midst of of uh, the, the, the battle over the true meaning of Christmas and such, it's still true that Christmas... Wins. After all, the song makes it very clear. It's the most wonderful time of the year. They tell us right in the song, right at the beginning of the song, this is the most wonderful time of the year. Christmas wins. Why? Christmas wins because it's the story of a baby. Or did the baby read? Christmas wins because it is the simple, beautiful story of a baby. Let me read it with you. I know we know it, but it's Christmas, so we get to look at it. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, I'm beginning in verse 6. Just be reminded and enjoy and embrace the beauty and the simplicity of our Christmas story. Chapter 2, verse 6 in Luke. While they, this is Mary and Joseph at this point, were there and they had gone to Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you, he is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, It's a beautiful story about a baby. It's the story about a simple teenage girl giving birth to a beautiful baby in a simple town called Bethlehem, in a simple stable. With a simple little drummer boy going a simple little rhythm, pa rum pa pum-pum. And the ox and lamb are just simply helping him. They're helping him keep time. It's just a beautiful, simple story. There is nothing like it in any other faith system, any other religion, to have such a modest, beautiful, simple, pure beginning. Nothing like it anywhere. There is nothing that is, that is offensive at all about a baby. Babies are cute. Even Mick Jagger and Steven Tyler were cute as babies, I'm confident. There's something, I got an email from my dad this week, and it was, and it said the 2011 Naked Fireman Calendar. And here's what the picture was, if you haven't seen this. There we go. How cute is that? There's now, no, your, your question might be, why'd you open it? That's a reasonable question, but it was from my dad. And so I was pretty confident we were going to be okay there. Here's another picture of, of a naked uh, little one. Aw, isn't that cute? Isn't that cute? See, as creepy as that is, there's, there's still this... This sweetness about, even, even a, a baby can even be naked. I mean, there's just kind of this, this perfect, um, uh, uh, inoffensive thing about the baby. Let's, let's lose that before we start to really, thank you, thank you. Last week, Jeff was here and he talked about the scandal of Christmas talked about the fact that the lineage towards the story of Mary and Joseph towards the birth of Jesus had a scandalous past that there were, there were uh, 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 sin and things that needed redemption in the story leading up to Jesus. It was not a perfect story. It was a scandalous story. But when we get to the story that we find in Luke chapter 2, there's no scandal there. It's the story of a baby of shepherds, of angels. There's no scandal there. It is a scandalous story. Not a scandalous story, a scandal less story. Free from scandal. Compare that to Easter. Easter is the story that involves the Roman government, who is the most powerful nation the world had known at the time, who were incredibly threatened by this person, Jesus. And it involved the Jewish rulers who were incredibly offended by this person Jesus it's a story about Jesus who is God saying to his father who is God of which they are one with the Holy Spirit this Jesus who is God saying to God who is who is to his father who is God let this cup pass from me it requires a little bit of explanation there's Jesus on a cross saying to the criminal next to him, this vile, vile criminal, saying, you will be with me in paradise today. A whole lot of confusion going on there. See, the scandal steps in later on. The story is, is much more confusing later on. But the story in, at Christmas, we find in Luke chapter 2, is just sweet. It's just pure there's no scandal there the scandal happens when that baby grows up to be a man when that little simple perfect little baby grows up to be a man who in two chapters later in luke chapter 2 he reads from the scroll of isaiah and he says that one day there'll be a messiah who comes who sets the captives free who brings sight to the blind and then he says this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing in other words i am that Messiah, I'm God. Boom. And the bomb just gets dropped, and they want to throw him off the cliff. And the scandal is just, it's just booming. It's thriving there. But not in the Luke chapter 2 story. The story moves from scandal less to scandalous. And the movement actually occurs pretty quickly. It starts to get scandalous pretty quickly. In fact, in Matthew chapter 2, I want to read one verse there. You can, you can back up and go to Matthew chapter 2 if you'd like. <clears throat> There's the introduction of another character in the story, King Herod, who is the Roman ruler over this area. And King Herod wants to find out where this baby is born because he wants to take care of the baby. So he tries to trick the magi, the ones we often refer to as the three kings, Wants to trick them into into saying, tell me where this baby is so that I can go worship this baby. And then the Magi are told by the angel, no, don't tell him. Don't tell King Herod. And then this is Herod's response in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. It moves from sweet to scandal pretty quickly. But this doesn't make it in our Christmas story. This is not typically part of our Christmas story. Those of you who collect nativity scenes, there's typically not a King Herod character with a knife. (laughs) Precious moments wouldn't get away with that. If you're kind of collecting those pieces. This part of the story doesn't make it into our Christmas story, because the Christmas story is one that is so scandalless and sweet. It is so embraced by our culture, whether you're a follower of Christ or not. That's why Celine Dion can get away with singing a deeply spiritual song like Oh Holy Night." Ninety-nine point nine plays it about every hour and a half. And and, and, and fall on your knees. Christ is the Lord, Celine Dion sings. And then the song, God Rest You, Merry Gentlemen, is sung by a Canadian band called the Bare Naked Ladies. Now, that's one of my favorite bands, but what business do they have singing about the Christian Christmas story? There's just something very embraceable about the sweet, simple Christmas story. And I think God was intentional about giving us that story, about giving us this very embraceable story. Now, the story is not babyish. It's not a matter of. It's not a matter of of, of making it so simple that it is um, That is kind of dumbing the story down. In fact, it's the other way around. That the Christmas story. Is taking, the Christ, is taking the Christian story to its purest form. It is taking the simplest, purest version of that and giving it to us wrapped in a baby. And we might be wise to experience our faith, to experience life in its purest, simplest form. For those of you today who are uh, perhaps wrestling in your marriage, If you've been married for 3, 5, 10, 15 years, marriage and life is way more complicated than it was when you were dating. Uh, Because now you've got enormous financial things to think about and consider. Maybe you're at a place where you want to have children and you can't. And the pressure of that is just enormous. Or maybe you, you, you have kids, you have little ones. And the pressure of just... Managing that and taking care of that, just, it makes you wonder if that was such a good idea, really. Or maybe you're at the stage where it, it, you're moving towards empty nest syndrome and you, you and your spouse have been pouring so much into the kids that now when it's just going to be the two of you, that is an awkward and difficult time for you to manage. Just think back to when that relationship was at its simplest and purest place when you were dating when you fell in love with each other when you looked at each other and said I want to spend the rest of my life with you maybe there's some wisdom in going back in some way to the story in its most simple purest form what about our finances I mean some of you I know that you've had household incomes over hundred thousand dollars in the not so distant past and now you have a household income of forty thousand dollars and you're wrestling with, how is that going to look? And you need to go to the Dave Ramsey uh, seminar and figure out how this all works. It's The seminar, just so you know, is not just about how to, um, how to give. It's about how to manage finances. And so now you're wrestling with, with a $40,000 household income. Do you remember when $40,000 was a whole lot of money? Do you, do you remember that? Do you, most folks, the statistics, research have shown that people think being rich is about having twice the amount of money that we currently have. So if you make $25,000, then in, in most of our minds, to make $50,000, that's what it means to be rich. If you make $75,000 rich, typically means about $150,000. You make $7 million, then it's really about $14 million. That's what the rich people make. So this whole rich concept is really kind of an elusive thing that we never really catch up to. We never really get there. The only time most of us ever felt rich was when we received our first paycheck. Delivering papers or your first, your first job and you got that paycheck for $236. And you had no responsibilities and you could do anything you want with it. Oh, the sweet smell of a $236 check. Maybe there's some wisdom and, and going back to, I, I know that um, a lot of financial seminars, they suggest doing the uh, envelopes and just putting cash in envelopes. Maybe there's some wisdom in taking things back to their simplest form, which is what the story of Christmas does for us. What about the overall experience of Christmas? I mean, it is less than a week away. And maybe some of you parents were hoping that there would be a, this explosion of presents underneath the Christmas tree. And there was a hope that that you'd be able to get that that heart's desire for your child to get the PlayStation 3 with 30 gig uh, uh, space for your kid or or for your husband, uh, whatever however, however that might look. Because now it's on sale for $400 only. It's on sale for $400. $400. My first car cost $400. My first car. Here's a picture of it. Actually, this is a 1976. That's my house when I grew up in uh, in Edmonton, and that was my first car. It's kind of a tri-tone: the blue on the top, and the white, and then the uh, the brown, red uh, along the bottom. It's kind of an all-American car: the red, white, and blue there. But uh, this is the kind of car where I would reach in the seats on a regular basis and find some change so I could put like a dollar 37 into the gas tank, and uh, and move on here. This. Car uh, in, around Christmas, uh, my friend Daryl and I, we'd go to uh, McDonald's. I remember going to McDonald's and they, they would dress it up for Christmas and they would have tinsel and, and balls and decorations on in the booths and stuff. And so we would we would borrow some of them and uh, and set them up inside my car. So we had a very festive uh, internal uh, car experience, uh, courtesy of McDonald's Corporation. Uh, and now I'm not saying that that was right. That really, that was, that was wrong. It was the wrong thing to do, students. Uh, but <laughs> it was very wrong, and I've repented since then. But, but let me just tell you, we had a whole lot of fun with a $400 car. I know that some 16-year-olds here in our neighborhood drive around in $20,000, $30,000, $40,000 cars. And if a 16-year-old, if, if the heart's desire, if the plan is to give a 16-year-old a $20,000 car, I'm pretty confident that 16-year-old is not going to have 50 times as much fun as I had in my $400 1976 Pontiac Ventura. Amen. <laughs> I just lost all the students, but we're good. We're good here. There's just kind of this, this simplicity that we could experience with our Christmas um, story. One example for me is is, uh, what what I'm doing this year with with our kids is I'm giving them the gift of an hour. I'm giving each kid the gift of an hour where on Christmas Day or the day after, I'm going to give each kid a full-on, 100% focus for one hour. Parents, you know how hard that is, one hour. And it is going to be a complete hour, anything you want to do. You want to play a game, you want to go for a walk, you want to go for a bike ride, you want me to do your hair, you want to do my hair, you want to do my nails, whatever. It is One hour. Anything you want. Now, I'm not sure how that's going to work for, you know, my kids are 9, 7, and 5. I'm not sure how that would work for a teenager. Kind of, now with my dad, I, what, what, I, I lose, you know, whatever. <laughs> you can decide based on your experience how that might look or whatever. Maybe a kid will say, okay, dad, clean my room. And then they eat Oreo cookies while they watch dad clean, whatever. But for me, I know this is going to be a big deal because the number of times my kids say, dad, will you jump on the trampoline with me? And my typical response is either, okay, just for a little bit, and we go for seven to ten minutes, and I'm so gassed that I can't do anymore, or I say, not right now. And so what a simple, beautiful gift to say, one hour, all you, all you. Maybe it can be that simple. What about your faith this Christmas? I know there are... Plenty of reasons to doubt if you are in a seeking mode and trying to figure this out. That that faith doesn't get easier as we get older. Faith doesn't become this thing that that is easier to enter into as we get older because as we get older we have more experience with pain and suffering and death and loss. And so faith actually becomes a more difficult thing. Often it becomes a more mature thing. It doesn't get easy. But... Maybe our faith needs to go back to the the sweet story, to the purest version of the Christmas story, which is the story of a little baby who grows up to be a man to say, do you believe in me or not? Set aside all the theological questions. I know there's plenty of questions about what about those who who don't get the opportunity to hear and is Jesus really the only way? Set aside those questions for a moment and just look into the eyes of a man who started as a baby who just says, do you believe in me or not? Christmas wins because it is a sweet, beautiful scandal-less story it's the story of a little baby and maybe our faith and our life this Christmas would benefit from taking things back to its purest simplest form and just enjoy it the way perhaps God has intended for us to think about it at Christmas let's pray Father, what, what a strange way that you chose to save the world. It really is an amazing thing. It's one of those things that, that just makes you think no one could have made this up. It's too unbelievable to have been made up. God, it's your way of saying, I, I, I don't need the fanfare. I don't need the big old explosions. I want the simplicity of a simple teenage girl in a simple stable. Giving birth to a beautiful, simple, unoffensive baby. God, may we embrace our faith. May we embrace Christmas out of that purity this year. May we just simply embrace the fact that you love us, you sent your son as the amazing gift for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.